not two Sundays, but three Sundays ago, I preached on not, do not fret. It leads only to evil doing. And then last week, I preached on being, being still. And the Lord keeps kind of reemphasizing this theme of, of, being, uh, of the stillness, of, of quieting our souls. You know, when you, when you sit in the shade, normally it's to, to get out of the heat. To rest and to just to uh, to take it easy, to take a nap. You know, you think about this this tree right here that's in the shade. It's got a picnic table under it, but you come and you and you take a rest and you get out of the heat. And I feel like you know the, the main scripture we're going to be looking at is Song of Songs, chapter two, verses three through five, and. The scripture is this. Like an apple tree among the trees of the forest, so is my beloved among the young men. In his shade I took great delight and sat down, and his fruit was sweet to my taste. He has brought me to his banquet hall. And his banner over me is love. Sustain me with raisin cakes. Refresh me with apples. Because I'm lovesick. So Holy Spirit, we just ask that you would give us insight into your word. And you give us a spirit of wisdom and understanding. And the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Help us, Holy Spirit. Amen. So... This is uh, the Song of Songs. I, when I first started reading it, it didn't make any sense to me. And then I started, I did the Mike, Mike Biggles study where he goes through the Song of Songs verse by verse. And it, it really opened up that book to me. And now it's one of my favorites as far as using phrases out of that book to help me in my, in my relationship with the Lord and just to express my heart to him. And this has been one of the prayers that I've been praying to the Lord is, Lord, refresh me with apples, sustain me with raisin cakes. You know, and, and what, is, what does that mean? We'll, we'll look at it in just a second. But it says, in his shade, I took great delight and sat down. And his fruit was sweet to my taste. So the Bible says that cursed is he who hangs on a tree. And so the cross is the tree that we take shade in. We rest in the finished work of Jesus Christ. We don't have to work anymore. We don't have to strive anymore. We don't have to try to make things happen. And so this past week is actually maybe Thursday. I'm, I've got like a little bit of a stuffy head. But like Thursday morning, I, did, I just didn't feel good. I was just real sleepy. Uh, could kind of feel this cold thing coming on and uh, I got to work and I was like I said I was just kind of I was just felt really out of it and uh, I, I typically read some news articles and things and I just got on my phone read some news articles and, and, the, uh, and the Lord said why do you 
not relaxing to me or why why do you even when you're sick come to me when you're sick like you don't have to do anything because in my mind I'm thinking I'm sick I'm kind of out of it it's hard for me to engage my mind it's hard for me to engage my heart with the Lord and so like I'm just gonna do something that doesn't require that and the Lord was telling me he's like you don't even have to you can just just come and like acknowledge my presence and like just be sick with me (laughs) you know in the sense of like come to me in that place he doesn't want me to remain sick but it's like come to me in that place and if you fall asleep you or whatever like don't don't worry about those things and so what the lord what that revealed to me was that there is still striving in my relationship with the lord because i felt like all right if i'm going to engage with the lord then I've got to do something. And like, I'm really tired right now and I don't have anything to give. And the Lord's saying, come without an agenda, like just come and be in my presence. And it was really eye-opening to me that like God just wants to be with us. And, and even though it was eye-opening too, I was like, I still have this, this at times these, parts of my heart that are striving, feeling like when I come to God, I've got to, I've got to do something. Whereas when you're in that place and you don't have anything to give, you can still come to the Lord. Like he's not, he doesn't need anything from you in, in the sense of like <laughs> you're holding him up. Like he, he love he just wants to be with us. And so John Piper says, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. And so those things that, you know, when we come to the Lord and we have, we spend time with him and you have you get a revelation, or maybe you just have what you might consider just a small taste of the presence of God in that moment. Well, those small tastes and those of the, of, of the Lord, you know, Psalm 34 says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Those small tastes of the Lord help keep our hearts tender. If we're always, if we're only looking for third heaven visitations, like, I don't know too many people that have actually had those, you know, who are in, who might, you know, it's just like, don't hang your hat on that, but like, thank the Lord for the small taste of his presence. Thank the Lord for what he gives you. And he, and you might have some of these bookmark points in your life where you really encounter the presence of God in a dramatic way. But most of the time it's going to be the small tastes. And those are the things, and that's what actually keeps your heart tender. That's what keeps you present before the Lord, where, you know, the times I've had with the Lord, I'll be in my car, I'll be in, in my chair in the morning, and I have like a giggle, like I'm just worshiping the Lord, and I'll be like, <laughs> thank you, Jesus. And because it's, and it's not something I created necessarily, it's like just feeling the presence of the Lord sometimes makes me laugh. Or I'll start, I'll have a tear or whatever, but I'm not, I'm not wailing and I'm not in holy laughter or anything like that, but it's just the small taste of the presence of God. And that keeps our hearts tender. And 
know, we can't be, we can't take those, those small tastes for granted. So we want to delight ourselves in the Lord. This is part of when, when you sit under a shade tree, as you, you don't have any agenda, you're, you're taking a break from work, right? So think about when you take, when you spend time with God, you're taking a break from work. <laughs> you're spent, you're hanging out with your best friend who is also your Lord and your King. Your, your best friend is the King. Think about Jonathan being with David. Like David was his best friend. Say this, repeat after me, say, my best friend is the King. My best friend is the King. And so we have to think about it like that, that when, you, when you're hanging out with friends or your friends like, hey man, we need to get A through Z done today or y'all just having conversation and you're laughing and you're sharing your heart which one is it it's not the a through z agenda it's the sharing of the heart right that's what you do with friends and that's all the lord wants us to do whether we're sick or, or weak or whatever and then we can invite him into those places so when we delight ourselves our god our longing for pleasures is satisfied in part in this age and the fullness of the age to come. So we're, God created us to desire pleasure and to be fascinated. He created us to desire pleasure and to be fascinated. Both of those things can be fulfilled in looking upon Jesus. Psalm 16 says, at his right hand are pleasures forevermore. The fascination part. We love, you know, you see, some, there was a guy on TV last night, we, you know, watching college football. He made a, a one-handed catch like this, and we're just like, dude, man, we're fascinated. How could somebody do that? We love that, right? That's, that's why we have even highlight reels. We don't have highlight reels of, like, the, the quarterback taking the, the ball and then kneeling to end the game. We have of the, the, the plays that are, are fascinating and, and, and capture our attention. And so we created for that. And so God knows that. He's not expecting that to go away, but he just wants it. We were created for it to be found and satisfied in him, not in the things of the world. And so even sin, the Bible says, sin has pleasure attached to it, but it's fleeting. Says the flea, do not attach yourself to the fleeting pleasures of sin. The fleeting. What does James say about sin? Sin leads to death. And so it's the trap of, the, of sin, it's the trap of the enemy. It, it feels good and it's, it's comforting, maybe, and it's pleasurable, for maybe for a moment. But it's fleeting, and by the end, by the time you, you've eaten the whole meal, you start seeing death. You start seeing rot and decay in your heart. So even though there's there are God-given pleasures in this world, they're temporary and need to be. Excuse me, even though these are God-given pleasures, they are temporary and need to be repeatedly received. So that's why we spend time with the Lord consistently.
So in small measures, the spirit inspires and tenderizes our hearts. And these subtle flashes of glory are to be a regular part of our relationship over time with God. We sin because we believe that it will provide a pleasure that is superior to obeying God. That's ultimately, we think sin would be better than God. The power of temptation rests on a deceptive promise that sin will bring more satisfaction than living for God. Scripture calls this the deceitfulness of sin or deceitful lust. You go to Ephesians 4.22 and Hebrews 3.13. It says that in Hebrews 11, that the heroes of the faith, they chose to suffer affliction than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. That's the scripture I was referencing earlier. They chose to suffer affliction than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. Why would they do? Why would you suffer, choose to suffer affliction right now rather than the passing pleasures of sin? I mentioned one reason. The end of the sin leads to death. The other reason is choosing God, choosing righteousness, seeking God first leads to eternal rewards. It leads to rewards in this life, but also leads to eternal rewards that will never rust, never fade, and never go away. So we're looking to eternity. This is only 80 to 90 years that we have on this earth. So compare that to all of eternity. Just think about that. Like when you meditate on eternity, you're just like, when you meditate on heaven for all of eternity, it blows your mind. And when you meditate on the possibility of somebody dwelling in hell for all of eternity, it blows your mind and it, and it, and it, it scares you. Because, and it should, it should scare because that is the price of sin. So sin is what we do when our hearts are not satisfied in God. John Piper again, all you reformed people out there, you are uh, happy to do. So all human beings have a God-given longing for pleasure and fascination. I touched on this earlier. We'll go to the next one. So Psalm 110 verses one says, the Lord said, says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool at your feet. He raised us up with him, seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Colossians 3.1, therefore, if you've been raised up with Christ, Keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. So part of sitting down, all of these scriptures are talking about sitting down, seated at the right hand of God. Jesus, right now, as we speak, is at the right hand of the Father. Colossians says, we are in Christ with him at the right hand of the Father. So we're, Jesus is sitting down. He's resting. Right? He's finished his work. Remember on the cross he said, it is finished. So now we rest in that same work. We can say, it's finished. I don't have to earn God's favor. God did it for me in sending his own very own son. There's no more striving. There's no more shame. Anytime you feel shame, there's one, there's two reasons that you could feel shame. 
you're committing sin, like you're actually committing sin because shame is attached to sin, or that the enemy is trying to lie to you. All right, and so Romans 8, 1 says, there is therefore now no condemnation, no shame for those who are in Christ Jesus. And it says that when we confess our sins, he's quick, he's quick to forgive us and the blood of Jesus covers us, cleanses us from all unrighteousness. So the way we get out of shame is if we're in sin, we confess it to the Lord. We ask for forgiveness and his blood washes us clean. If the enemy is speaking to us, we remind him of the blood of Jesus, that there's no condemnation in the Lord. I had to do that this weekend. I started feeling a little bit of shame. I didn't even know where it was coming from, but I was just like, Lord, I'm not, I'm not ashamed. I'm not, you're not ashamed of me. Uh, I'm covered in the blood of Jesus. Devil, you got to go on with that. And it's that sense of you're not, of not feeling worthy. So when you start, when you start not feeling worthy, you don't want to go to God. When you start feeling shame, you, you want to run from God. You want to hide from him. And that's the exact opposite of what he wants us to do. Song of Solomon chapter two talks about being lovesick. And so the truth conveyed by the term lovesick, it speaks of the joy of delighting in God's beauty, feeling the spiritual pleasures of the word, feeling the spirit's presence on our heart and understanding what it means to be loved by God. I also like to think of it as being pierced with longing for God, for for our hearts to be pierced, like you're wounded. You're wounded with, lo with love, like longing for more of God. And that, that piercing and that wound for, for more of God won't be satisfied until you have more of him. And so it's like, I've, I've prayed that before. It's like, God, pierce my heart with longing for you. Like, pierce my heart to where I can't, the only place I can go to get this satisfied is, is you. Like, everything else will be, won't do it. Paul the Apostle, his heart was exhilarated. He was lovesick for God. He gave up everything, his position, his prestige. He considered it as rubbish or trash. It meant nothing to him. You can read that in Philippians 3.8. So God, we're not only called to delight ourselves in God, but God delights in us. Say that, repeat this after me. God delights in me. Repeat this, God wants to be with me. Repeat this, God enjoys my company. So God has gladness, he has delight, and he has joy in his people. And so he designed humans in his image with a capacity for gladness or for joy. Say, so I was created for joy. So Isaiah 62 verses four through five says, for the Lord delights in you. And as the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall your God rejoice over you. God delights in us. Psalm 149 says, God takes pleasure in his people. And those are the things we have to renew our mind to 
where we want to run somewhere else. When we want to read a news article, when we should, when we have a, a window to just say, just to hang out with the Lord and just be like, here I am, Lord. All my imperfections and my weakness, and that's beautiful to Him. He just wants us. That's the thing we have to understand. He wants us, whatever condition we're in. <laughs> Jeremiah 15, 16. This is one of my favorite scriptures. It says, your words, your words were found, and I ate them, and your words became for me a joy and delight of my heart. For I've been called by your name, O Lord God of hosts. I pray that for the, my kids, I pray that for myself and say, God, may I find your word and eat it and may it become the joy and delight of my heart. John chapter 15, verse 11 says that these things I've spoken that my joy may remain in you, that your joy may be full. So Graham Cook, I heard him say this one time, the end purpose of all of God's dealings with us and all of his, everything that he speaks to us is to leave us the end that where he wants to, us to end up in all of his dealings with us is to get us into joy. So if, if you get it corrected by the Lord, what is his purpose is to ultimately to get you into a place of joy, to turn from that sin, to turn from whatever he's wanting you to turn from and to get you into a place of joy. If he encourages you, he wants to get you into a place of joy. If he corrects you, it's because he wants to get you into a place of joy. And so the other day when the Lord was correcting me about, hey, just come to me, no matter what, you don't have to do anything. It was a, it was a correction, but it was, what was the purpose? He wants me to experience joy. He wants to fill me up. And so just coming to him with our offering, because you remember when you go through Leviticus, it said even people, poor people gave different offerings to the Lord. All they had to give were like doves, where if you had the means, you would, you would sacrifice a cow or a bull or something like that. But if you were poor, all you had to do bring was a dove. So God, it's not the sacrifice. It's like, what is it? What do you have to bring? And it doesn't, and so wherever you're coming to, to the Lord, whether you have a dove that day or you got a bull, just bring it to the Lord. It's, it's not the sacrifice. It's the intention of your heart that, that God, I want to bring you something. I want to bring you my heart. I want to bring you myself right where I'm at. We come back to Song of Solomon's chapter two. It says, in his shade, I took great delight and sat down and his fruit was sweet to my taste. So when we sit down and we rest in the Lord, guess what starts happening? We start eating of his fruit. We start peace, righteousness, and joy start coming into our lives. The fruit of the spirit Love, goodness, patience, kindness, goodness, you know, all nine of the fruits of the Spirit start popping up in our life because we're staying 
in the vine. We're staying, we're abiding in the vine. He's brought me to his banquet hall and his banner over me is love. A banner, when he talks about, what does it mean when he says his banner over me is love? Is I mean, the first like hundred times I ever read that, I was just like, I don't kind of quite don't connect with that. <laughs> but you think, when you think about a banner, a banner is declaring intention, it's declaring purpose, it's declaring identity. So God's purpose over you is love. His identity for you is to, is to be found in love. His, God's purpose is to reveal his love to me and to you. And his desire is for our identity to be rooted in the beloved. David was called the beloved. Break down, if you break down beloved into two words, you can say be loved. Be loved, beloved. So the Lord's saying to be loved. That's his banner. That's his that's the charge he's given. That's the, the, the only charge he's given us is to be loved. Receive my love. And I, and I was talking with Elliot earlier this morning. We're talking about people who know the love of God and who abide in the love of God. And in this case, we're talking about evangelism. You have, you know, in the Gospels, it said all the people were coming to Jesus. So Jesus wasn't on, uh, Jesus' outreach looked a little bit different than some, some of our outreaches. Jesus is standing and the people are coming to him. Whereas he, did, he sent the disciples out two by two. And so going out, knocking on doors, and that's good. And the, and the Lord uh, affirms that. But Jesus was like on this other level where people were coming to him. And I was telling the story to Elliot earlier, Jack Frost, who some of y'all are familiar with, but he had some mentors that were this elderly couple. And the husband's name was D.B. That, that was his name, but it was short for Dearly Beloved. So his wife called the husband, D.B. She said, D.B., do you want a sandwich? Dearly beloved. But he, like I said, they were very, they were very elderly when, when Jack Frost knew them. And D.B. was actually confined to home. And the wife, I forget her name, when Jack would go help her to get, get groceries once a week. And you get, you get this little elderly lady shuffling along. And he said... Every week, people would come up to her and be like, will you pray for me? And she hasn't said a word. She's like, will you pray for me? She would pray for them and people would just get touched by the love of God and the presence of God. She would lead people to the Lord every week without saying a word. And it's because she was (laughs) saturated in the love of God. She knew she was, when you're nicknaming yourself dearly beloved, it's just, what did John call himself? I'm the disciple whom Jesus loves. They're not bragging. They're just stating the facts. 
They're just stating the facts. David Watson, another guy who's planted thousands of churches in India and all around different countries, he, he says there's frequently, he gets on airplanes and this, he'll be tired and he'll not have a lot to give, but people will just be like, the person next to him just tap him. He's like, will you tell me about Jesus? <laughs> and he'll lead them to the Lord. Uh, Bob Johnson, who came years ago, he was walking the streets to San Francisco and he, there was a, uh, and Bob would talk about leaking Jesus on people and there was a big Hispanic bodybuilder guy that, that walked by Bob and Bob grabbed his arm. He said, man, he said, that's, that's nice, man. He's like, looking good. And it just walked, kept walking and the guy went up to Bob, like ran Bob down and said, Padre, forgive me. And he started confessing his sins to Bob. Bob led him to the Lord. But Bob just was like complimenting him on his, on his arms, you know, and, but he touched him. And what happens when people touch Jesus, you remember the, the woman with the hemorrhage, it said power left. Jesus could tell power left whenever she touched him. And so my encouragement to us is to sit in the shade of the cross, to rest in the Lord, and just to, and to, maybe we, we just need to have this confession of our lives until we start believing it, is Jesus delights in me. I, the King is my best friend. What are, what's the phrase that God wants to give you? to repeat over your life, all right? I just, let's just take like three minutes and I want you to ask the Lord, like, Lord, what is the phrase about our relationship that you want me to repeat over my life, that you want me to know? So if you have your journal with you, that's fine or if you wanna put it in your phone, but Lord, what is the phrase right now that you want me to repeat over my life about our relationship?